So, you want to save the world with clean energy? Make money doing it? Confused about the economic and technical realities of residential and commercial solar, batteries, heat pumps, EVs? Want the real-world scoop on new energy technologies, not manufacture hype? Then tune in to the Weekly Energy Show, hosted by Barry Cinnamon. Insights from Barry's 40-plus years in the solar and energy industry will help you understand the future ways we'll generate and consume energy. And now, here's Barry. Welcome to this week's Energy Show. Now, I like to think about the market for residential solar in two categories. Basically, people with sunny rooftops and people who are paying for electricity that don't have a sunny rooftop. Now, there's no doubt in my mind that eventually every home with a sunny rooftop will have solar, like every home has a chimney and electricity. But for people without sunny rooftops, whether they have too much shade or they live in an apartment with shared rooftops or they can't afford solar, there's not really an easy way for them to put solar on, but there's an excellent alternative out there called community solar. Now, basically, community solar is a way for people, both homeowners and businesses, to share the power output from a large solar array. And they also contribute to the cost of that array and benefit from the lower electricity prices that that shared array provides. So it's my pleasure to have Crystal Huang on today's show. Crystal's the CEO of People Power Solar Cooperative, and they focus on the facts that many people are not good candidates for rooftop solar. And most attempts at building community solar projects, at least as far as I can see, just fail, especially in California. Crystal earned a BS in atmospheric science from UC Davis and also an MBA from Tuck School of Business. I have to say Crystal was the most rousing speaker that I saw at the recent Stop the Solar Tax Rally in San Francisco. So welcome to the show, Crystal. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Okay. Tell us a bit more about the People Power Solar Cooperative. Yeah, we started by piloting a new model for community-owned energy in California we call the commons model. We believe it is the first cooperatively owned residential project in California. And we say cooperatively owned residential project, meaning financial benefit is spread to members of the communities who are not directly related to the off taker. And we came about because the Sustainable Economies Law Center, which is a 501c3 nonprofit based in Oakland, California, has been working on trying to democratize energy and changing the public policy around energy to make community ownership of energy happen started in 2013 and realized that we need to have a case study around the fact that communities can come together and build projects and steward energy projects so then the lawmakers in California can actually start building or passing real laws that will allow communities to be empowered to own and manage and control energy assets. So that's why we came about. We're here to make energy democracy happen. And for like a typical community solar project, what are some of the details? How would that work? Yeah, that's a very good question. So community solar can mean so many different things. There's in very broad terms, there's community shared solar and community owned solar. So community shared solar, it can be seen as simply you're subscribing from a solar system elsewhere and the company will manage everything and you can get electricity bill savings just like how you would get electricity bill savings when you put solar on your own roof, except it's probably in a neighborhood like a church or a parking lot 
or in whatever jurisdiction that allows you to tap into the community shared solar. You're simply a consumer that you get electricity bill savings, much like putting solar on your roof, except it's not on your roof. Whereas a community-owned solar is that and more. Community-owned solar basically allows communities to have much more ownership, control, management, monitoring, and sometimes indirect use of the system because it is owned by the community. And when it comes to that, there's a lot of different ways to break down community ownership of the energy project. But ultimately, it's about people having ownership and control and determination of what the energy asset can do way more than just a consumer. And that's primarily the difference between community shared solar and community owned solar as a way that I would kind of like explain what community solar looks like. Okay. And so where is community solar getting the most traction? Best community solar policy that I'm aware of is in Minnesota. And I believe Colorado, Massachusetts, and New York have pretty good community solar laws as well. But I believe Minnesota has the best adoption of community solar. Definitely not California. Yeah. Yeah, we'll get to California in a minute. <laughs> I wanna, let's figure out how it should work and how it is working, and then we can talk about why it's not in California. But, so how are these popular community solar projects structured? Primarily, the community solars are structured very much similar to the way I describe community shared solar. So that means a for-profit developer will pick a site and look for subscribers, and subscribers can basically purchase electricity from the shared solar. And it kind of just started to operate like a very tiny investor-owned utility. So, like. The consumers purchase electricity from the company who are selling shared solar, and that's pretty much it. And there's not a whole lot of input around siting of where the solar project will work and what the benefit and split of the project will look like. And so it is basically just a for-profit company making money and selling electricity, very similar to investor-owned utilities but in a much, much smaller scale. All right. And then for community-owned solar, what are the economics for the people who are actually benefiting from that project? And are they also investors? Yeah. So I would use the best example I can think of is the Cooperative Energy Future in Minnesota. So Cooperative Energy Future is a, as its name says, a cooperative. So people can be a subscriber of a energy project, just like how shared solar, the way I describe shared solar would work, except it first all changes at the first step of siting. Where the project would be sited is not driven by the developer, it's driven by the site. So it could be a church, could be a municipality, could be any property owner wanting to host the solar community solar program they come together with the cooperative, getting technical assistance, getting financing support, and build the project. And of course, because these are groups like Houses of Worship to Community Center, they would have an existing group of people who can become subscribers. And they're basically using their existing relationship to not just say, hey, now you can purchase electricity for your household without putting solar on your roof, 
but we can actually talk more about wealth building in our community as in existing communities. So they would start to talk about what energy truly means beyond just this thing that you purchase, the bill that you pay, or this thing that you need from the wall, but really understanding what energy is so we can talk about how our energy system exists in our society and its relationship to how climate change is showing up. So we can actually take collective climate action beyond just putting solar on the roof because frankly, I'll say some people might not agree with this, but climate change and the climate crisis is not a counting carbon issue. Climate change is not going to be solved by recycling in your kitchen. Climate change is an imbalance of power in democracy. And we can only change that if people are actively engaged and aware of where our energy system is going. So groups like Cooperative Energy Futures in Minnesota engages people through these existing projects to get electricity bill savings and talk about how to engage in our society better to build a better energy future and a better society for our future generations. You mentioned wealth building, and I find that a really good concept. So that implies you've got some benefits coming back, maybe you know your investment's going up, but you're also kind of contributing money or making payments. What financing models are working for this kind of a community solar model? Are monthly payments, or is there some kind of on-bill financing, or is an upfront amount? What are some of the practical models? Yeah, so in addition to the ones that you've listed, there's also a partnership flip using investment tax credit. So you can basically work with tax investors to leverage the ITC benefit to reduce the cost of your solar system. And by doing that through a partnership, you can do a partnership flip. And so in, within five to seven years, you can flip it back into community ownership. So you do not have to have that level of upfront investment that's needed in the community in order to have the input on where you want the solar to go to and how the benefits should be spread and how people can come together and understand energy better and engage together. So there's a lot of different ways. It really depends on the appetite of the community and also depending on the network and resources that communities have to tap into. There's also, of course, there's grants too that could come about that could just directly fund these projects. And then, of course, with that, that maximizes or increases the benefits of the communities even more. All right. So we know community solar works in other locations. There's great financing models. It democratizes energy with groups that, that want to do that. Why aren't there more community solar projects here in California? I mean, I, I can't think of any that are really viable at this point. Yeah, simply because we don't have public policy that allows this to happen. Well, when the Sustainable Economies Law Center started engaging in community-owned energy, they started to understand through Linda Barrera, who's now the chief counsel for the California Energy Commission, who's on the board of the Sustainable Economies Law Center, basically help the law center staff attorneys understand that community solar, community-owned energy project would only be viable in California if we change public policy. And that's when the law center started to engage in proceeding, regulatory proceeding to help shape the enhanced community renewables program, which came out of the, I think is SB 43, about the Green Tariff Shared Renewables Program back in 2013. And it was, 
when through that process, and it's the same pro, it's the same situation pretty much in every single proceeding you see, is that when we are trying to advocate for community empowerment in these programs, it always gets ignored or brushed off, and whatever outcome that came about, it becomes so unrealistic that nothing happened. So I'll just take the enhanced community renewables as an example coming out of green tariff shared renewables, also known as GTSR. There was a requirement, it really feels like a joke, that projects, well, actually, I should first explain what enhanced community renewables would do. It's a program that under GTSR that has the potential to allow people to co-own solar projects and have public utilities administer energy bill credits for each person's ownership share. Very, very progressive in many ways. But the idea is to allow people to come together as nonprofits and cooperatives to build these projects. And what ended up happening in terms of the most final ruling for the Enhanced Communities Renewables Program is that it requires each community-owned solar project to get a written legal opinion stated that the project complies with the securities laws. But the catch is the project could only get that opinion from one of the top 100 largest law firms in the world. And these are law firms that charge $500 to $1,500 per hour. So how can a small community build a project and pay for that type of legal fee and make a community-owned solar project work? Yeah, it's not a surprise at all. You just have to follow the money. It just amazes me over the 20-something years I've been fighting these utilities approaches. I just see the so many government officials, they're anti-rooftop solar, they're anti-community solar. From our state's governor to legislators to the CPUC on down, and, and I, I mentioned I testified about a month ago at the Senate Appropriations Committee, and what was amazing is the Democrats on that committee were 100% focused on supporting utilities. Only the Republicans on the committee were interested in supporting rooftop solar. It's just like Republicans were for the people in more democratic forms of energy, and the Democrats were not. And I think it's because the utilities just have such deep pockets and donate so much money to our politician. It's just incredibly frustrating. Coming back to the comment about getting that legal opinion and how you had some legislation or a policy that was almost close to being good. And then at the last minute, somebody throws a monkey wrench into it that completely destroys the viability of that project. And that kind of happens a lot. They've got really good lawyers. What could we do about kind of changing some of this political orientation in California? Hmm. I think... The only way to change it is change the narrative, the story of what the solution looks like. I think what you're talking about using the example that you're sharing, which is the experience that we find all the time, is you're battling a story, in this case, a story from the Democrats, that the most reliable entity, institution that exists today is the utilities, as an assumption. And that's the battle that you're going against. And when they already have that assumption coming into the room, you can't try to tell them that we need to weaken the very thing that we have to rely on and we cannot exist without. So 
our journey within the People Power Solo Cooperative existence and story came from the fact that policymakers don't believe communities can come together and steward energy projects. They don't believe we're lying. They don't, just don't even hear that is a thing, even though that is explicitly what we push for, working with very smart lawyers. I mean, we're talking about the person who is now the chief counsel for the California Energy Commission. But the stories just do not align and they cannot hear it. I don't think enough people in our society, especially in California, talk about how communities can come together and solve problems. And when we don't talk about that, our default solution is always big corporations in a way that we don't even challenge it. It's just an assumption that we don't name and we walk into a room trying to find a middle ground and find a solution while there's a big power dynamic where the policymakers are sitting up there making decisions with this unnamed assumption while we're challenging that assumption from testimony, it just won't even meet anything. So there's a, another simultaneous approach that we're taking in the background that I think also you know, may ultimately have a bigger impact. And new technologies, new industries get to a tipping point where you know, at some point consumers say, well, I don't need that old alternative. I'm going to take the newer alternative. Unfortunately, not because it's the right thing to do. Unfortunately, not because it's environmentally sensitive. It's because it's just cheaper. And ultimately, you know, people will eventually migrate towards the most cost-effective solutions. And I think that's what's going to ultimately happen. When In my career here in California, over 22 years in the solar industry, I've just seen that the adoption of solar so accelerating so much when it got purely more economically feasible than buying utility power. And... The utilities are doing something that are going to help us even while they're smirking and recording record profits. I mean, I looked at what happened with electric rates over the last two years. They went up 14% in 2021 and 2022. They're going to go up 18% next year. And PG&E is going to spend, Crystal, this is amazing, $100 billion over the next 10 years to bury 10,000 miles of long-distance transmission lines. It only really costs $40 billion, only 40 to bury the lines, but then they get a guaranteed 12% rate of return for 50 years on those lines, and they get to charge ratepayers maintenance fees on that. So it will be astounding to see what happens with electric rates in California over the next two or three years. People are opening up their bills right now this summer. It's like, boy, you know, that my bill went through the roof. It's going to be even worse. I think ultimately the message that you talked about, which is this is the right thing to do, and second, and by the way, you're going to save money if we start to have these community solar projects, if we do more rooftop solar, if we don't invest so much money in an old-fashioned business model, which is burying power lines and pulling the power from out of state. Those two things, I think, are going to make the difference. And then when the solar industry and the related industries have enough money, we can also begin to influence politicians. Unfortunately, that's the mother's milk of politics, but we can influence them to start moving away from the centralized power grid. Those are the two things that I think are going to really make it happen. And it's just so frustrating for my industry and your efforts on community solar to just see so many roadblocks at the very end after doing all the right thing. Boom. The decisions are against us. Yeah. It's an ongoing struggle from the, it's, it's challenging because we're talking about economic justice. We're talking about the tipping point. It's, 
the tipping point, I mean, we are now reaching a tipping point, not just about the tipping point of technology adoption, but we're literally talking about the tipping point of the stability of our society. And how much can you keep squeezing from the people is where this current system is trying to test. Our current centralized energy system is trying to test out how much can we keep taking from the people and pigeonholing them, gaslighting them, just as a consumer. How far can we go is basically the story is going to unfold with climate change. Yep. And yeah. at one point, I mean, it's just like the, the book Lorax from Dr. Seuss. You cannot take in the speed that is faster than the nature is able to regenerate. So if we are taking, the system is taking from us, from the planet, faster than we are able to regenerate and we're not able to pay our bills, the system is going to collapse. I just wish that there was more activism from community organizations, especially in you know, lower income areas, against natural gas plants being reinstalled or you know, accelerating with that, and against easy ways for lower income people to basically make, get on bill financing. They're doing it in other states. They can do that. That's how they can pay for a solar system on their roof, but the utilities block it. Very frustrating. Now, I'm going to kind of change the subject a little bit because I'm in such agreement with you on this. What are some of the other policies that you're aware of that investor-owned utilities use to block community solar? You mentioned the issue about getting an SEC legal opinion, but you know, what about just interconnection rules, things like that? There's a whole lot. I think what I'm going to use a different way of answering your question instead of going into policy by policy because it's ultimately just defense after defense. And it's tiring because, I mean, ultimately what's happening is it doesn't matter what law we're talking about. Any policy advocacy to reform and work with the investor-owned utilities is doomed to exhaust our movement, to demoralize us, and leave us on a treadmill of fighting about little details on the paper or little details with each other, what's right and wrong, just to keep us distracted from a much bigger fight that's needed, which is to abolish the investor-owned utilities. Bingo. I totally agree. So yeah, you're on a roll. Keep going. It's frustrating because, I mean, you brought up a really good point. If only community groups can stand up and push back on more gas, if only more environmental justice group could speak up about NEM3, if only. But the key question is not about where are the community groups. As we heard from a number of rallies, especially the most recent rallies, we had Amazing environmental justice leaders coming from the Central Valley, from Stockton. This indigenous woman, we said so well, her name is, I think, Destiny. She said, one of us is a thousand of us because we are being forced to work two, three jobs a day and barely surviving. We're being demoralized. We're being divided and distracted so that we cannot come and comment and be part of these process. We don't even have the capacity to engage and even understand this is happening in our own backyard because we're so busy, barely able to feed our own families. There's so much distraction that's going on in our society from the power that's above. And I'm talking about big corporation, could be investor-owned utilities or any big corporation that's doing so much so that we're distracted 
from understanding what's happening. So we're being told these narratives so we keep pitting against each other. So the solar companies are being pitted against the environmental justice communities. But there's also the problems that's there where extraction is happening. No matter what industry you're talking about, there's extraction from renewable energy companies too against low-income people or workers or people of color. So ultimately what is most important is to understand how much we're able to take the time and space to recognize the harm that is being done, not just in our climate, but also on the people who are working so hard every single day and recognize that when we abolish investment utilities, the alternative needs to go back into the hands of the people who can build a legacy forward while healing the trauma that's been going on for multi-generation. Listen, Crystal, I think you should run for governor or you know, start somewhere <laughs> uh, because you're hitting the nail on the head and so many California and national politicians, but I'm very active on California side. California politicians are in the pockets of the investor-owned utilities and they're just extending that monopoly and uh, you know, preventing this kind of change. Okay, let me just kind of change gears one more time and let's kind of put some of these challenging things that we've got to change aside. Tell me about how you got started in the energy and the solar business. Oh, yeah. I started my career right into the energy space, thinking that energy is what controls our economy. And if we really want to take seriously how we relate to our planet and can be in existence on this planet in a sustainable way, energy sector is the place to be. So I was gone into many different places in the energy sector, primarily in solar. I was working at the largest solar panel manufacturer in the world called SunTech, no longer exists with the valley of death. And I was working very high level doing global analysis work and then going down into the downstream working. Actually, I was working at Powerhouse as their COO, just doing a lot of these energy sector, trying to support the transition into clean energy. And we always get stuck on the questions around how do we get low-income communities to care and be part of this clean energy transition. And the more I ask these genuine questions in an authentic way, the more I realize that there is a big flaw in our clean energy sector. We're focusing so much on the technology and so much on the carbon count We forgot that in order to solve the social problem, the economy, we have to use social solution. We can't tech our way out of a social solution. We have a social orientation that is wrong, that we continue to ignore people of color who have been saying that climate change is coming, especially indigenous people, have been talking about this for hundreds of years. And being silence ignored and now we're seeing it happening and suddenly we decided to double down on the problem by continuing to ignore the people so i got introduced into the energy democracy movement through the local clean energy alliance and understanding that climate change is not the a technological problem and it cannot be fixed with technological solution climate change is a problem of the imbalance of power And we have to look at where power lies. And when we're talking about centralized energy model, it's not just about the large-scale power plant, but we're talking about who gets to make a decision. Is it some people in the corporate boardroom? Even if it's 
using distributed renewable energy? Or are we talking about decentralized energy model where people in the community get to decide how to determine their own destiny? And I'm talking about including the entire supply chain of the production. How much are we engaging people, people's voices, so that we can actually have true harmony to get out of this imbalance that we've been having with the planet? So you're making progress at People Power Solar Cooperative. Tell me how Star Trek is influencing your operation. Star Trek. <laughs> um, I think maybe your question coming, is coming from the fact that I am a Roddenberry Fellow, which is a fellowship that supports social justice workers across the country that are trying to make the world closer to the vision of Gene Roddenberry in Star Trek. Yes, you, connect, um, you connected the dots. I was looking yes, at a picture of I, I William Shatner when I was Star looking. Star Trek. Excuse me? <laughs> no, I've never seen Star Trek, which is kind of embarrassing. But I think it's beautiful that Star Trek creates this vision. But ultimately, this is not a vision that is dreamed up by one person. It is a vision that our ancestors have been living in, where we're able to steward the commons together and come together as communities to make decisions collectively for millennia. And so People Power Solar Cooperative is rooted in this concept of stewardship of the commons. Sustainable Economies Law Center, uh, who incubates us, is all about how we can use law to bring power back into the stewardship of the commons. So we, as humans, can come together and determine our own destinies as humans, not just as consumers who are blindly consuming and following what big corporations tell us that we need and what we will do. Well, it kind of comes full circle because as a Trekkie going back to when this was the show was on TV ages ago, yeah, that was a lot of the message of what Gene Roddenberry was talking about in terms of Star Trek, just democratizing everything. Everybody has a right to live, to be free, things like that. And it's just amazing how that fellowship has been some of the, the seeds for what you're doing now and, and extending that. So how can people get in touch with you at People Power Solar Cooperative? Yeah, highly encourage people to come visit our website, peoplepowersolar.org, to learn about the projects that we've built and really our approach to building people power for the energy transition. How can we do it not by centering technology, but really centering people coming together to build alternatives to the current system that forces us to rely on investor-owned utilities? There are many things that we can do. And there are many opportunities that we can come together. But it first really starts with us understanding our relationship with energy. And it's something that we talk about a lot is what is our relationship with energy? And the more we think about it, the more we realize that it's way more than just this thing that we take from the wall and this thing that we buy. Energy is ultimately our relationship with the entire planet. And our orientation gets us there. So really encourage everyone to join us, um, be in our movement to democratize energy at People Power Solar Cooperative. We built a lot of tools and resources to get people to understand what our energy system is doing and how clean energy itself is not going to save us. We need people power. So we're building a lot of these tools and we love support from folks there who are frustrated by the current system and wanted to invest into the future where we can be aware and consciously building 
forward a better future for a future generation, closer to one that is in Star Trek. Well, the, <laughs> the ethics and the morals and the economics are all going in the right direction. So that's encouraging. That's all the time we have on this week's Energy Show. Thanks, Crystal, very much for joining us. And thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in. And if you missed any of today's show, you can go to our website at cinnamon.energy and listen to the podcasts. Thanks for tuning in to this week's energy show. Barry wants everyone to benefit from clean energy. So if you missed any of today's show, you can go to our website at cinnamon.energy and listen to the podcasts.